Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. This is your co-host, Ryan Cabrera, and I am in Studio A with Pastor Nick Plummer. Hey, Pastor Nick. What a beautiful, hot (laughs) summer day. Uh, It's beginning to feel a lot like Tammuz. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's right. It is Tammuz. It is definitely Tammuz. Moving towards something. (laughs) <laughs> golden calf incident could it be the three weeks of affliction there you go share about that it's coming i will i will but first i want to say thank you guys for listening welcome to christians with Torah. we really appreciate you guys um if this is your first time listening we want you to know that we love you and we appreciate you and uh that this podcast is is about one major thing and that is expressing to the world that the torah is awesome and that God's teachings and instructions are loving instructions from a father to his children, and not bondage, not the lies that have been told. And we are uncovering that by looking this week at examples that he has given us of what not to do, <laughs> right? I mean, well, we've had it for the past couple of weeks, what not to do. So um, what were we just talking about? You were about to tell me to... Tammuz, Tammuz. Of affliction. So right, so today I believe the day we're recording this, which is uh, Tuesday, June 30th, it is Tammuz 8. And so in nine more days, uh, we have Tammuz 17 coming up, which <clears throat> we are in the beginning, or we're in the season of summer already, which be- began on June 20th. And now uh, Tammuz started on the 22nd, which was, right, like I said, eight days ago. Today's Tammuz 8. And coming up on July 8th will be Tammuz 17, which is the golden calf incident. Now, this is the incident where they threw all their gold rings and everything into the fire while Moses was up on the mountain. And lo and behold, all by itself, it turned itself into a golden calf. I mean, I don't know how that happened. What Eat more chicken. Yeah, exactly. Or goat, whatever. Eat more chicken. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but the golden calf incident, which is a, a travesty, really, um, it also begins the season of uh, the three weeks of affliction. So, from Tammuz 17 to the 9th of Av, which is July 29th, <clears throat> um, is the three weeks of affliction. And as you may know, both temples were destroyed on the 9th of Av, the first temple and the second temple. Um, the second one being around 70 AD. And, um, you know, these, this day, the 9th of Av, is uh, just a day where many, many horrible things other than just the destruction of the temples have happened, especially to the Jewish people and the people of Israel. And so it's uh, a day of, of, of mourning traditionally and things like that. Um, but we look at this three weeks of affliction as a season of caution to put up your spiritual antennas, to be sober, to be alert, to be doing spiritual exercises, be uh, be in your Bible, be praying, and be worshiping. So we're going to keep moving along uh, here with the Torah portion. This week we are studying the Torah portion Balak, which is found in the book of Numbers, starting in chapter 22 and verse 2, and ending in chapter 25 and verse 9. That's good. So let's look at... Uh 
the outline here for the book of Numbers, just to go over it one more time. Uh, Numbers is the journey to God's rest land. That's right, journey to God's rest land or the promised land. And of course, uh, this particular book of Numbers is broken up into three parts. Uh, here we have uh, chapters 1 through 9 is at Sinai, uh, preparation for the journey. This was within, of course, a few weeks. Uh, chapters 10 through 21 is actually to Moab. This is about the journey, and this time period is about 39 years. So in closing here, we are actually approaching, which is, of course, at Moab. Chapter 22 and verse 2, all the way through chapter 36, is at the gate to the land. They're about ready to enter into the promised land. This, of course, takes place within a few months. Uh, also, Mount Nebo is mentioned as well. So here we are in Numbers chapter 22, verse 2. Uh, and of course, we are at the gate to the land, getting ready to enter in. And one generation has passed away except for Joshua and Caleb. And of course, uh, those that were 19 and under are going to face an incredible test. Uh, three key words found in the book of Numbers is service, war, and wilderness. So we're going to jump right into Numbers chapter 22. And I want Ryan to read verses 1 through 7. Just to set the precedence here for uh, uh, Balak, who's the king of Moab, and Balaam, and the Midianites, and uh, just lay out a nice little plot. All right, here we go. It says here, And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side Jordan by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are around about us, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak the son of Zippor was king of the Moabites at that time. He sent messengers therefore unto Balaam the son of Beor to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land. For I wot that he whom thou blesseth is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed from the rewards of divination in their hand, with the rewards of divination in their hand, and they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. All right, let's jump right in here and look at a little geography lesson here, uh, just so you can get a perspective here. Think about the Sea of Galilee to the north, the River Jordan going all the way down to the Dead Sea. Uh, take your little finger and go right above the Dead Sea there to the right are the plains of Moab. And to the left is the city of Jericho. So basically, uh, down south you have Edom. Then above Edom you have Moab. And then, of course, right above Moab, which is equally distant uh, from the Dead Sea up into the kingdom of Og or Bashan, you have this area of the kingdom of Sihon or even Ammon, the Ammonites. So in between uh, Bashan and Moab, you have this area of land where the where the, the, the camp of Israel camped, uh, the children of Israel camped there, and they are on the plains of Moab. So you get a little perspective. So the king of the Moabites was, of course, Balak, and he was the son of Zippor. 
And of course, his name means destroyer. Okay, he was afraid of Israel. So they went around his, his, his country there, and they positioned themselves and camped out. He's like, oy vey, look at all these people. And I'm sure they had some spies out there scoping it out, some messengers, some lookouts uh, on top of the mountains to say, hey, buddy, look at this group of people. Boy, they're, they're going to bring some trouble now. And, of course, the, uh, the question is, where were the elders from whom Moab spoke to about the threat from Israel? They were in Midian. They were from Midian, the elders of Midian. So we have King Balak from the Moabites, and then we have, of course, Midian, which today is the modern-day country of Saudi Arabia. Right. So they're south of even Edom, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Moab right outside of of, uh, the Dead Sea. They're on the other side, right? And then you have Edom south of them, um, and then Midian south of them. So I guess the Moabites and the Edomites used to be thick. Right, I'm telling together. you, there's it's a it's it's a conspiracy. It takes Allies. two or more people, uh, two or more parties, uh, and of course the uh, the messengers that were sent in order to bring, um, let's see, this is to bring him back and curse Israel. They were sent to Balaam, Balaam, the son of Beor. So who were the messengers sent to in order to bring him back and curse Israel? So now we have the king of the Moabites. We have, of course, King Balak. We have the elders from Midian, and now they're going to send messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor. And, of course, they had, of course, rewards of divination in their hands. They came ready to pay for what they wanted. Right. So this is the uh, the elders of Moab and Midian had the rewards of divination in their, ham, in their hand. They have, of course, kasem is the Hebrew word. It means a lot, an oracle, or witchcraft. So we know that Balaam is a false prophet. He's a prophet for profit a profit you know for profit. and we know that uh and, and here's here's a good discussion a good question for discussion how has divination or witchcraft impacted our culture today and why is the holy spirit better uh well first off um i mean people uh were are attracted to the supernatural right, right. the paranormal yeah um you know you see that with harry potter uh i remember you know, having the conversation a long time ago when I was just a regular Christian about like, what's wrong with Harry Potter? I mean, I'd read the books when I was younger, and or some of the books, I should say. And I was just like, I just don't get it. I mean, it's about good versus evil, you know what I mean? But what it is, yeah, it's slowly yeah. chipping away at what we see as as normal. And it's slowly, you know, desensitizing right. us to witchcraft and wizardry and all these things. So I think the supernatural um, without atonement. So having some way that we can within ourselves right. drum up the supernatural without the assistance and of a righteous no God. And there's no sin when you're in the occult. Right. Well, because you're a God. And what is the, what is the, being. the main tenet that they say is of, of Satanism or of, of this type of um, witchcraft? It's do as thou wilt, right? My will be done, not God's will be done. Um, wow. This, the second thing that's interesting about how it's impacting our culture today, and you can look this up, this is public records, but classic paganism is on the rise. So uh, people using the ideologies of, like, say, worshiping the god Thor or, or these multiple gods from Greek theology or from uh, our Greek um, mythology. mythology or uh, Roman theology, these things, uh, or even Celtic. I think the Celtic stuff is real, real popular. Hug a tree. Hug- <laughs> I don't know. But in, in, and it's especially getting popular with young people joining the military. So oddly enough, um, it's making a big rise within the military because these guys, you know, think about it. They're going to battle. So they're like, oh, the Thor, this or that. You know, I even knew a guy that worked for me when I was in uh, down in Naples work, uh, running a health club. 
that had the, the hammer of Thor tattooed on his forearm. And he said that it gave him power, you know? And I'm like, wow. So, but things, things like this, you know, that people are doing, um, and that's just my little personal experience and the things that I've seen from the public records. Um, you know, there's a lot more that goes on that's esoteric, that's um, darkness, because the occult means the hidden, right? To be hidden. Right. And so a lot of this is is hidden from mainstream uh, for, for more than one reason, but not the least of which is the attraction to it is that it's hidden, that I, you are somehow getting the esoteric knowledge, that you are somehow elevating yourself. And what is it that the serpent told Eve? Oh, yeah, enlightenment. Right, that you shall be as God. And so what happens is, is the occult is supposedly this esoteric hidden knowledge to elevate yourself to the status of being equal <sighs> with God. Now, if, if that doesn't sound dangerous to you, and if and just through what I just said, you can kind of see the slow fade, the, the path that people take to it's where true. it starts out as innocent, but just getting desensitized to it, but then the participation in it. And then before you know it, you're passing your kids through the fire to Molech like it's this normal thing, you know? Oh, it's bad. Yeah, it's real bad. So once again, you know, uh, and by the way, you know, if you're in the church and they're calling out sin and worshiping and praying, you don't have to worry about the occult. They're not, you know, that's not, it doesn't exist in, in that form of leadership. Right. But if you're not hearing much about sin or, you know, spiritual exercises, there could be the occult taking place in a church. Because yeah. uh, what is the Holy Spirit going to do? Convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Some new age The rule of this world religion. has been judged, so you're not yeah. going to cater to the occult uh, in a true church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. So just keep that in mind. And so it's uh, Numbers chapter 22, verse 12. We're going to get right into the character of Balaam or Balaam. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. So here this guy is going to go with these people who have the rewards of divination in their hand. They're, come, they're calling for him. He's making his way. And so Balak was going to give great honor to Balaam if he cursed Israel. So he knew all this. He was going to get great wealth and honor and all this stuff. Uh, so God's anger was kindled because Balaam went with the princes of Moab. And so he sent the angel of the Lord for an adversary against him. He really did not want him to go. And of course, we know that... Uh, we, we have this question. How many times did the donkey Balaam uh, was riding on try to avoid the angel of the Lord that was in her path? Three times. Thrice. Three times. And how many times did Balaam strike his donkey? Three times. Because he could not see the angel of the Lord three times. Three, of course, means divine of the Lord. So the number three is a very important number. Why you hit um, me, man? So, so once again, you know, the uh, donkey could see in the supernatural the angel of the Lord, but Balaam was not able to see the angel of the Lord. So the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she had a conversation with Balaam in regards to him striking her. Yeah, like... Why you hit me, man? That sounds familiar. <laughs> so imagine that, you know, so this is some supernatural stuff that's happening here. And of course, the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam so he could see the angel of the Lord with his sword drawn and he fell flat on his face. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. And of course, the, uh, the angel of the Lord said this to Balaam before he went with the princes of Balak. This is what the angel of the Lord said to him. Go with the men... But only the word that I shall speak unto thee, that thou shalt speak. Was this a theophany? Uh, you know, I'm not. I don't know. I'm not sure, but I'll tell you what's interesting about this 
is that uh, I believe that in this... No, I don't think it was a theophany. Yeah, I believe that... The angel saying, hey, just speak what I tell you to speak, because he's hearing from the Lord. Yeah. I, I believe that this is a way that God is humbling Balaam. God is, is saying, you know what? You think you're so bad, you're going to push and push and push to go with these men because you want the rewards of divination, right? Um, well, guess what? I'm going to speak through the donkey. I'm going to let the donkey in on it so that you know that my prophet could even be a donkey and not you. So be very careful to speak only what I speak. So it's just kind of like a twofold thing. The first thing is that the donkey is getting the word before Balaam is getting the word. Wow. That's pretty humbling, right? Hey, this donkey's a better prophet than you are. Oh, yeah. Why does the donkey get to see this and I don't? Right. Then the donkey's speaking to him, right? Which, you know, all this, apparently that's wow. not that weird. That's a real pet. So then he sees the angel with sword drawn. And so it's like, man. He finally got to see in the spirit realm. I could have just had my head cut off. The donkey. But the donkey saved me. So then he's even more humbled, right? Because now, man, I, I really, you know, was mad. But now I just showed my, you know, my, my rear end, right, so to speak. The donkey saved my butt. This donkey saved my butt. And so this angel now giving the command, but only speak what I speak. Now just think about it. The donkey could see it, but he couldn't. So he gets a little glimpse. Now every move he makes going forward, he's got in the back of his mind, there could be an angel with a big old sword ready to, to do that's, me in. That's true. The whole next rest of the time. So now who does he fear? He fears God more than he fears this king, which you know Mike Cromwell made the point that Balak's name means the destroyer. Right. So he fears God more than he fears the destroyer. We should all be in the place where we fear God more than, than the what, circumstances around us. Exactly right. Fear God, keep his commandments. So Balak took Balaam and brought him up into the high places of Baal, where he might see the uttermost part of the people. And now we're going to switch gears into Numbers chapter 23. I'm going to let Ryan take it from there, and we're going to get into some blessings here. So Ryan's going to take it from here. This is Numbers chapter 23, Balaam's offerings now. Yeah, now this this is a cool scenario. You know, Balaam uh, gets there. And he's ready to start his his operations, right? He's got he's he's being paid, right? He's he's a prophet for profit. So they're expecting you know for him to to do something. So what does he say? He has uh, seven altars built along with seven oxen and seven rams prepared. So they're all getting ready to do this sacrifice. Um, Balaam blesses Israel, however, instead of cursing them on this first round. And remember that these are not this is not for atonement, right? No, this was sacrifices just to God. Yeah. This is, a sacrifice. this is like a, hey, I'm going to give this to you if right. you'll do what I ask. Atonement's not even mentioned. Right. So, so let's go ahead and read the first, the first blessing. So these are the words that God gives to Balaam to speak. And um, obviously, Balak's not too happy with this. It says here, uh, verse, uh, ver- chapter 23, verses 9 and 10. For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone, and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his. So he's calling out these people, Ryan, that they dwell alone. They're different. They're different than the other people. Right. And they shall not be reckoned among the nations, because they're going to be separate from the nations. You know, uh, Israel is the only nation to actually come back after 2,000 years and become a nation again. Yeah. They're the only country to ever do that. Yeah, no with, ever with done the that. indigenous people. I mean, and it says, "Who can count the dust of Jacob?" So, what is Abraham's seed likened to? But the sands of the seashore. That's right. The sands of the shore. So, who can count the dust of Jacob, and the number of the fourth part of Israel, which is twenty-five percent? 
So that's interesting. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. So I, I almost feel like he's saying what God told him to say. He knows that Balak is right there with him, watching him. And so he blesses Israel, right? And then says, let me be counted with them, right? Because he knows, he's like, look, angel, you hear me? I said it. And now, hey, put me with these guys, right? You're blessing them. I'm better off being with them right. than apart from them, which is anti-Semitism. Right, exactly right. So... So moving on, uh, Balaam blesses Israel instead of cursing them a second time, right? So again, remember, he's paid to curse them, and, but he's right there with the people that have hired him, and he, um, he blesses them instead of cursing them a second time after offering sacrifices at the top of Pisgah. So what do they do? They go to the high place right the first time. They set up the altars. No good. He, God tells them to bless them. They go and they set up on another hill. And they're like, okay, maybe from Pisgah, maybe now we set up altars and we do these sacrifices and maybe we can get done what we want done. So uh, chapter 23, verses 21 through 24, uh, this is what God uh, puts in the mouth of Balaam. Second blessing. Right. He says, He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, What hath God wrought? Behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift up himself as a young lion. He shall not lie down until he eat of the prey and drink the blood of the slain. You know, what's, what stands out to me is that here he is into divination and, and, and enchantments. He says, surely there is no enchantment against Jacob. Neither is there any divination against Israel. It doesn't work. And the shout of a king is among them. It starts out, kind of, you know, uh, he hath not beheld iniquity. Uh, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him. And the shout of a king is among them. That's Yeshua. Any, any thoughts on that? Wow. And then, of course, it likens Israel to a lion. Yeah. Oh. Well, I mean, it's, oh boy. It's, it's adding to the ideas that, you know, the curse that Balak is hoping for, because Balak admits that the, the, the people of Israel are greater than he. He knows that if he were to go head-to-head with Israel, army for army, that he would lose. So he already knows this ahead of time. Because there's a lot of people camped out there. So, so this news is basically saying, you know, he hath the strength of a unicorn, um, now there's speculation within, you know, Jewish tradition that this... I always knew they existed. Well, so let me say this, what I'm going to say real quick. So the rhinoceros is one of the animals that they believe might be, be the one being referred to here. Oh, sure. As a rhinoceros the in the Middle East, in the middle of the desert. Uh, where do they live? Maybe there was a lot of vegetation <laughs> in the Middle no East back idea. then. I have no They're idea. Africa. But my point being that they're using the name unicorn, right? I don't know if this is a spiral horned horse that with wings that, you know, jumps up and down or whatever. Maybe it just had a horn but didn't have wings. My point being that the strength of a unicorn, there's there's some speculation within Jewish tradition, maybe because of this verse, that it is a rhinoceros, because think of how strong a rhino is. The strength of a rhino. Right. So that that's just where that where I got that idea. Yeah, of from. course. There's there's a, a lion is likened to Israel. So and then and then it re- likens Israel to a lion. What is what is a lion famous for? For being strong, good fighters, all these things. So all this is bad news for Balak, 
And then we get down to, and he will drink the blood of the slain. So, I mean, just to add I'm in there. I'm not messing with that beast. Yeah, he don't mess, don't mess with Israel. And so um, Balaam blesses Israel um, even more a third time. So, we, so we've done this once, we've done this twice, and now a third time, this time at the top of Peor. So they move to another hilltop. Um, and this one looks towards Jeshimon after offering up the sacrifices on seven altars. So what do we do? We do it again, and it's time for the third, a third blessing, blessing. Is the big enchilada, Ryan? Read it for yeah, us. Yeah, this is this is the icing, Whew. the icing on the wow. cake. Listen, I just I want to be counted with Israel. That's all I'm saying. All right, oh, so here I want one of those tents. Yep, Numbers chapter twenty-four, verses five through nine. And this um, I'm gonna sing a song when we're done with these verses. All right, just because. This is a good one. I'm, you weren't ready for this. I didn't. I didn't. No, let I don't you know. even see a guitar. But it says I don't. I'm not even going to use a guitar. I don't Are you going to sing an acapulco? A, acapella, yeah. Acapella. <laughs> Just testing. <laughs> it. Um, so how goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel? As the valleys are, they spread forth as gardens by the river's side, as the trees uh, of line aloes, which the Lord hath planted. And as cedar trees beside the waters, he shall pour the water out of his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brought him forth out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. He shall eat up the nations, um, his enemies, and shall break their bones and pierce them through with his arrows. He couched, he lay down as a lion, and as a great lion, who shall stir him up? Blessed is he that blesseth thee, and cursed is he that curseth thee. So, hey, uh, you know, Balaam, or Balak, I'm sorry, Balaam is, is making his point. Again, every time he does one of these blessings, he's like, and here's the reason it's why like I'm doing this. like building up to something great. Well, and... and um, yeah, Three this, is divine of the Lord, too. This is the third and final blessing. Right. Well, this is why, this is why he's doing that, because... You know, he is letting, he's doing all the blessing, right? And at the very end, he always adds in, if you notice at the end of each blessing, right? So at the end of the first blessing, he says, let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. So he's, he's counting himself with Israel. Hey, I want to be with them, all right? Because they're blessed. they're blessed. Right? And then he says at the end of the next one, and he'll drink the blood of the slain. Hey, man, I don't want to be against them. Right? And at the very end of this one, blessed is he that blesses thee, and cursed is he that curseth thee. So each time he does the blessing That's why over we Israel, bless the Jewish people. And then he, he tells them, them why. So um, as part of the shacharit, which is the morning prayer service, um, there is a prayer that uses uh, the very beginning of this set of verses. You know, how goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel. And so I'm just going to sing. You want to sing with me? You know this one? No? Maybe? Uh, I, take okay. it. Go for it. Mishkenotechahisrayel El haicho kodshecha beiratecha. And that in English is, How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling places, O Israel. As for me and your abundant loving kindness, O God, let me enter your house. 
uh, to worship in your holy place. So it's it's part of the the prayers as you're getting yourself ready uh, to do the like the the Amidah and the prayers. They sing that little little ditty, and it's how lovely are your tents, O Jacob, and how O your tabernacles, O Israel. So just, wow, just a little bit there, you know, as part of this blessing, you know. That's really good. So, and uh, you know, so so you know, Balaam told Balak that he could only speak what the Lord told him to. You know, that's what Balaam told Balaam. Don't get all jacked up. Don't get mad at me. Right. You know, I told you I would prophesy. I would speak what, what, what I need to speak, what God allows me to speak. And so uh, it, it's developed into that. And, of course, uh, what time frame did Balaam use to tell Balak that Israel would deal with the Moabites? In the latter days. Wow. So something's going to happen in the latter days. You know, that's the area of the modern-day country of Jordan today. Uh, you think of Edom as down south underneath the dead sea you got edom and moab and amman which is of course today the modern day country of jordan but of course in, in 24 7 he says i shall see him but not now i shall behold him but not nigh there shall come a star out of jacob and a scepter shall rise out of israel and shall smite the corners of moab and destroy all the children of sheth so once again this is a statement that a star would come out of Jacob. I'm going to go to Revelation 22:16. You know, Revelation 22:16 says, this is the words in red. I Jesus have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Oh yeah, he's it's the interesting bright that he's the and root morning and the offspring of David. He's not he's just the, the offspring. He's the Alpha and Omega in verse thirteen, which is the what the Aleph and Tav. Right. So think about that, and of course, uh, what was going to rise out of Israel? Uh, a scepter. So the tribe of Judah would be the monarchy. Genesis forty nine. 10. Let's look at that. Yep. Genesis 49.10. I can quote it from memory. You know, <laughs> you know what's really great about having two people doing the podcast? What's that? While I'm sharing and reading, Ryan can actually eat a donut. <laughs> so this is why Jesus said, go, go in twos. Mm-hmm. Go in twos. So here's the prophecy. It's a good donut. That's right. We are celebrating a lot of things. Uh, let's look at Genesis. Oh, 49, 10. Here we go. Here we go. Let's look at the prophecy. The scepter. What? The scepter will not depart from Judah. What is this? Nor okay. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Matter of fact, see, it's all about a person, not ideology, not the teaching, but the teacher, Yeshua, the lawgiver. Amen. So this is really, really good. This is what was going to rise out of Israel was a scepter. And what was going to come out of Jacob, but a star. And of course, Amalek's end would be that he would perish forever. So Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place. And Balak also went his way. Just remember this. The enemy never stays together. They come together. They cause problems. They cause trouble. It's like protesters. They'll come together, but then you'll never see them again. They'll never be together again. Well, they flew in from another city. I'm to just come saying, and just burn you know, stuff down think anyways. about it. The ones that are, you know, causing harm, they'll never be back together again. Uh, <clears throat> and of course, this is interesting. Two New Testament writers tell us that Balaam is an example of those who sin for personal gain. Yeah. John uses Balaam as an example of one who taught others 
how to sin. I don't want to get into all of the things in, in regards to Balaam, but we're going to discover something that uh, he was not able to curse Israel, but what he was able to do was to tell Balak, send beautiful women into, into the camp of Israel and God will curse them when they fall into sexual immorality and idolatry. Just infiltrate them through assimilation. Um, so we're going to get right into uh, Numbers chapter 25, uh, verses 1 through 9. We have the Moabite women seduce Israel. Don't have to read it. Don't have to get into it because it's self-explanatory. Yes. Uh, and of course, when, the, uh, when Israel camped in Sheatim, uh, they began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Remember, mm. you know, there's so much to learn from this, um, like unwise associations, Yeah, perhaps. You know, you were mentioning about uh, Proverbs talking about uh, not, not dealing with the wayward women. Yeah, you not I mean? dealing with the wayward women. Yeah, and uh, it, it's Proverbs 5 and 6, and it, it says here in uh, Proverbs 5, uh, verse 3, it says, For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Um, wow. No thanks. Boy, to be smitten <laughs> with that is not a good thing, folks. It is not good. And then, of course, we have a Proverbs 31 woman. That's right. You know, she is to be praised She's because the, she fears out on eye. Which is the bride. There. That's it, you know. So, so you know, going back to the golden calf incident in Exodus 32, uh, just remember this, that uh, they committed idolatry with the golden calf that led to sexual immorality. So idolatry and sexual immorality are synonymous. So once again, Israel did sacrifice and bow down to their gods, uh, of course, to the Moabite women. Uh, and of course, once again, sexual immorality led to idolatry. So Israel joined themselves to Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He was not happy. Now remember, this is the generation that didn't die in the wilderness, but were 19 and younger. So they fell into trouble. You know, remember, they're at the gates of the land. Yeah, because the ones You're that were the 19 part. are now 59. <laughs> That's good. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. So he's going after the leadership first. Leadership should have shut this down, discovered this, and not allowed it. You know, going back to this transition of the judges to the monarchy, you know, Eli was the, the head priest there and everything, and his sons were committing sexual immorality around the tabernacle and everything. And so what happens when the ark was taken? He, he, he finds out that his sons have died in battle. He falls off the back of the chair. He's overweight, breaks his neck, and dies. You know, so once again, as a leader, you can't allow things to go on in your church or in your fellowship or in your home uh, as a leader. So Moses sent the judges of Israel to slay everyone his men that were joined to Baal Peor. Now, they're going to have an isolated incident here of an example. A Midianitish woman was brought forward before Moses and the children of Israel while there was weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Okay, so we see something that's going on now. Uh, judgment's taking place now. And so uh, the question is, who was responsible for taking a javelin and thrusting it through the man of Israel and a woman in the tent to stop the plague. This would have been Pincus or Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest. Oh, wow. So he's the third generation. 
you know, we talked about this, you know, God wants three generations in the earth that are born again, uh, baptized in water, spirit-filled, and have the Torah. Uh, Phineas was, of course, the son of Eliezer, and Eliezer was, of course, the son of Aaron, the priest. So there's three generations. So this third generation is taking matters in their own hands, and he's a great example. Actually, a covenant of peace was made with him, and this act was actually committed where Moses was camped out to the east, and it's not good. And so it was outright blatant, uh, in-your-face kind of thing. Uh, and so it wasn't good at all. Uh, we have 24,000 people died in the plague. Which is a good point because uh, 24,000 people had died before Pincus took matters into his own hands and stopped the plague. So there's no telling how many lives he saved with his actions. And I think that people look at these things in the Bible and they're like, wow, they start to, you know, they feel funny about it if they don't say anything or they are vocally, you know, um, you know, saying something, you know, negative about Phineas. But at the end of the day, Phineas saved probably the rest of Israel's lives. I mean, because 24,000 died. This is, this is what it says, everybody. So we should be interceding for the looters and, and protesters that are bringing harm. Amen. We should be praying for lawlessness, right? It says that when... Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it. He rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. Just think, they were right in the middle of the act. Yeah. I mean, if you just read this, it's what it's describing. He, he did this. He stayed the plague. And those that died in the plague were 20 and 4,000. How many people have died with the coronavirus? Or because of sin. Half a million people? Yeah. Is it up to half a million? Yeah, worldwide. I think worldwide. Yeah. You know, and so the question is, why is sexual immorality a sin and so damaging? And I would just like to share some scriptures with you to help you. Uh, in this area, because once again, there's there's two things that are hitting us hard and heavy in our culture, the occult and sexual immorality. So First uh, Corinthians chapter six, verse 15 through 20, I want to read this. And I think it's a, it's a reference that we all should really keep in our hearts. This is what Paul says to the church of Corinth in First Corinthians chapter six, verses 15 through 20. Just read it over and over again. Just get in your spirit, highlight it. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, once again, Paul is going into a culture and, and to the nations and these heathens, uh, and their, their familiarity is with Greek mythology. Yeah. So there's a lot of sexual immorality involved in that. Half man, half God, the children of the gods. I mean, you know, so once again, he's trying to stress to them. As a matter of fact, even in Ephesus, I think it was the Temple of Dionysus, but Paul actually turned Ephesus upside down oh, yeah. all by himself. He led that whole city 
to Jesus. And they were getting rid of their idols and everything. You go back and check it out. It was a number of years that Paul was actually in Ephesus. He turned that major port city upside down. Yeah, and for, for context, Paul harped on this in the same letter. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, starting in verse 6 uh, through 13, it says, says this. And these verses are pretty famous, but they're actually referring um, to the chapters and numbers that we're in. And it says here, it says, Now these things were examples... <laughs> To the, intent, uh, to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So this is before that it was talking about the wilderness and all that. And it says, Neither be ye all idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And that's a reference to Exodus, um, the golden calf incident, which is coming up very soon. <laughs> and it says, Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. So remember last week we were talking about that, how it was Yeshua they tempted. Because you want to question the deity of Yeshua? Explain this verse to me. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9. Please send me an email, ryan at topraise.net. I know that's a total side note, but I would love to hear your gymnastics on working around that verse. All right, moving on, uh, verse 10. Neither murmur ye as some of them murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. The destroyer, it's interesting because Balak's name means destroyer. And then it says here, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. So five tests found in 1 Corinthians 10. These are admonitions from Israel's history. And I love what he says here. He says that... uh, He says, our fathers, moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Remember the parting of the Red Sea. So once again, the the five tests are uh, lust, idolatry, fornication, tempting the Lord and murmuring. Wow. How are we doing? Some of you are like, oh, man, I'm lusting or I'm committing idolatry. I'm committing fornication. I've tempted the Lord. Man, I complained today. You've already failed. These are the five tests that we're going to face. You know, Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's why the whole thing with uh, the occult and sexual immorality is so rampant right now, yeah. because the promised land is being opened up. You know, we're taking trips to Israel. We're, we're having uh, Jewish people come and share about the land of Israel. We're seeing the reconciliation of Jews and Gentiles. So in closing here, we have this question. What two lessons can be learned from the Torah portion, Balak, Numbers chapter 22 and verse 2, all the way through chapter 25 and verse 9 from a consensus of the group? Oof. So um, my my first one would be don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. It's not worth it. <laughs> don't go after the, the the wayward woman. Don't you know what it says? And I think in either chapter five or chapter six of Proverbs, don't even go on her street. You know what I mean? Don't Ooh. even don't even go on her street. You know yeah. where the street is. Yeah, look for a Proverbs thirty one woman. Don't even go there. So that would be my my first thing. 
Um, my, my second thing would be that the occult is real. Um, that there are people out there that are harnessing the powers of darkness um, and they're aligned with the spiritual principalities of wickedness. And that we as believers need to be sober and vigilant and take it seriously. I think we blow things off. We think it's no big deal. And all the while, we have watched the culture get more and more and more wicked, all by standing on our watch, all with Christians there, you know, ready and waiting to, to, um, to you know, to be on, on point, so to speak. And we should be the tip of the spear, um, not necessarily with a literal spear spearing somebody through, um, because the problem is not in a position where we have this one, you know, climactic example that we can nip in the bud. It's not like that. The, the problem is, is pervasive. It's an illness. It's a sickness. And it, it's, it's not something that we can deal with that way. We just have to be vigilant doing our spiritual exercises, raising our children in the way that they should go so that when they grow up, they will not depart from it. And that's why we got to really, really press the next generation and encourage them. You know, I have a, uh, a quote here for lesson number one, because they messed up so close and yet so far. Yep. So close and yet so far. You know, when uh, David messed up with Bathsheba, he, he, he repented and wrote a psalm. I believe it's Psalm 51. He said, um, renew a right spirit within me. Uh, what's a right spirit? It's a constant spirit, meaning that don't falter to lose your inheritance or to be an heir according uh, to the promises of God. Don't work this hard and, and work for this much only to lose it. So, so close and yet so far. That's pretty much what stands out to me, Ryan. Uh, any, any last uh, closing thoughts here? Just want to encourage all of you uh, to just press in. You know, there's, there's incredible things happening right now. You know, there's a there's a lot of uh, challenges, but you're going to make it. You know, you are more uh, than a conqueror in Christ. And so I love you. I appreciate you. We, we love your feedback. We want to encourage you. If I'm not mistaken, we're closing out numbers here pretty soon. We're in 22, but we'll be closing it out here in just a few weeks. And we're already hitting, I think, 14,000 uh, hits uh, for season three. We wow. want to thank all of you for listening and just to be encouraged that, yeah, we're in Brandon, Florida. You might be in Norway or you might be in Maine or, or Texas or whatever. Uh, but I'll tell you, you might even be in England, an old chap like myself. But I want to encourage you that God is gathering his children. He's writing Torah on minds and hearts, and he's given us instructions and in guiding us one day at a time, one step at a time. And uh, what an exciting time to be alive. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, this, this Torah portion um, is showing that God protects us, that God is there, and that when somebody would bring harm against us, that he is standing in the gap. But ultimately, when we do uh, have a plague come upon us, we bring it on ourselves. Um, yeah, a curse does not come without a cause. And, and so I think that for us, we can all look at that, and just like Paul says— we can take it as an example and recognize that we have to be making good decisions. We were talking about the, the, the signs of the Holy Spirit before the podcast, and I mentioned that um, you know, we talk a lot about speaking in tongues, and in, in, in the church you know, worldwide, especially within the charismatic and Pentecostal movement, puts a lot of emphasis on speaking in tongues, and I believe in speaking in tongues. Um, but I think more emphasis needs to be put on the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit of righteous living, of avoiding sin and making good judgment. 
Um, I think that that's a, a big deal because those, I think, are almost more important than uh, maybe some of these uh, other things that people put emphasis on, uh, that we should be living in a manner that is holy and pleasing to God through the Spirit of God um, and, and with His help. So, wow. Thanks for listening, guys. What a great tour portion this is. Um, you know, it, it really is a, a great tour portion uh, to, to learn from. And so I'm just thankful that you guys were here to participate with this with us. Um, and, and, you know, just thank you for listening week in and week out. If you have anything you need or questions or anything, just email me at ryan at twopraise.net, ryan, R-Y-A-N, ryan at twopraise.net. I'll be glad to answer any questions, pray for you, whatever you need. Um, and then uh, don't forget to live stream our services on all of our social media platforms every week, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, and the like. God bless you guys. Have a great week.